Trish Hyde, and today we're going to do a little myth-busting with Ed Cozier. Now, Professor Ed Cozier is a plastics genius, now that's my words, not his, and he works globally recovering the valuable material of plastic from the waste and creating the circular economy in the process. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Trish. Thank you for inviting me. So, how did you get involved in plastic? And what are you currently doing? Okay, it's a, it's a very long story. Uh, it probably goes back uh, more than 20 years. But um, I went from being an academic talking and teaching about plastics to engineers and technicians um, to actually designing and building recycling plants because in the, the mid-90s I realised that nobody in the petrochemical industry was doing anything about the end of life of plastics and all this good material was ending up in landfill and I thought we can do a much better job than we were doing then and so I put it into my head to become somehow a designer of recycling factories and I got the opportunity, opportunity to design one for Vizzy Industries when they invited me to to help them design the first mixed plastics recycling plant in Australia. So it started off from that. And from there we went to United Kingdom where we designed the plant there. And once I was there, I uh, literally stayed because there were so many things to do and there was a lot of encouragement as Britain was uh, addressing the issues of waste. And so we started to develop the technologies that are now in widespread use. So food-grade PET, food-grade high-density polyethylene, food-grade polypropylene, which is not yet widespread, but uh, it's coming. And I can say more about that later. So for me, the big desire was to stop the waste and to bring a new sense of um, responsibility to the plastics industry, which had it, it, it had it had as its paradigm what we call dig, use and discard. We'll make more and someone else will eventually tidy it up. But, of course, the tidying up hasn't been happening. We can see that in the oceans. A lot of countries don't have waste management, so they let the material go into the environment with quite severe and long-lasting consequences. So we have a big task ahead of us, uh, keeping our act clean and um, helping countries that don't have the technology is really where we've been working. So that, that's, the, that's the short story. There are many well, other that's fantastic that is great so just a quick one who's doing it better in the globe You've, you know a lot of you know country-wise which countries should we be looking at um germany yeah uh, belgium mm -hmm. too. Um, i hesitate to say uh many others um United Kingdom is doing a better job than it, than it was doing in 2004 they're now middle of the range um but in terms of the big countries, countries like United States are very far behind compared to the level of technology that they have. Big consumers yeah. of plastics, but very poor recyclers of, of their resources. And um, countries like, as I mentioned, um, Germany are very good, Switzerland's very good, uh, but there they have very disciplined populations who, who do the right thing. Now, across 
the globe, we've got countries like um, uh, Italy, France, who are doing reasonably well, Spain, not so good, Portugal, not so good. So it's surprising if you go across the Eastern European countries, they're not so good at it either. Um, many countries still put all of their, all the materials they use directly into the waste bin, a single bin for everything every day and nothing yeah. comes out until perhaps it goes to landfill. Um, surprisingly, the less developed countries, for example, China, India, uh, Vietnam, um, the Philippines, they naturally collect the materials of value and they recycle those because people make a living from it. And you can go to many countries where people were in, under very tough conditions to recycle the valuable materials like PET and perhaps HDPE, but they do little for films because films have low value. And this has really been the, the problem with plastics in oceans. Uh, it's been the the low-value materials that haven't been recovered. So there's a big task ahead of us to find really good alternatives and the brand owners need to think really carefully about what sort of products they sell into different markets. What we sell into Europe and what we sell into Australia could well be different to what we sell to Indonesia, which is just on our, our doorstep. The Philippines. Uh, Indonesia's got a 1,000 islands. It's, it's a whole series of island states. What do islands do with all this material if they don't have um, high-tech recycling as we may have in, in Germany or Austria uh, or Europe? Um, the world's still nowhere near the right level of recycling of plastics. We still have a long way to go. Fantastic, because that is a perfect segue into the first myth-busting, is you know, edge of truth, edge of myth. Um, chemical recycling is the solution for everything. What do you think? No, I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, people are looking for chemical recycling, but they, they forget what chemical recycling is all about. First of all, mechanical recycling can be established in just about every city around the world. Every village, every population can collect material uh, and then they can actually recycle it uh, in, a, in a centre where they might have better investment. Chemical recycling, though, is linked to the production of an intermediate chemical. Now, there are two types of chemical recycling that people can consider. Recycling of materials like PET, where you break it down to the base chemicals, or the other materials like polyethylene, polypropylene, where you break it down to an intermediate oil. And this is really where a lot of people think chemical recycling is. So to do that, you break it down to an oil, then put it into a... Uh, petrochemical cracker where they recreate the monomers to make the new polymers. Now, just think about that whole process. A new cracker will typically use half a million tonnes of uh, naphtha as an infeed. So to, even if we're going to add 10% uh, of its feedstock, you have to add 50,000 tonnes of oil uh, in there. That will come from approximately 80,000 tonnes of mixed waste plastics. Now, there's no cracker around the world that's doing anything like that. Yes, there are people making oil from plastics, but they also make a lot of gas. What, what happens to the gas? It's really quite important because if you're making the gas, you could, be, you could be flaring it off and creating CO2 emissions. So are you really doing the right thing? Um, so uh, a lot of people don't realise that you have to have a big chemical industry 
that is willing to take those oils. Now, not everyone is, and a lot of virgin resin companies will not take hydrocarbons that might be a potential risk to their operations. So there is a big, big issue. It's not simple. People think chemical recycling will save the day. It can do things if there's massive investment by the oil and gas industry and the, the polymer industry. And we're seeing the R&D, but we're not seeing the end-to-end the -end solutions just yet. So it's not time to give up on, on the efforts of mechanical recycling and recovery? No, we, we've just started and we need to be far more vigorous at collecting. Once we collect, we can decide what we have. Some things will be simple to recycle and economic to do so. Others will be more complex. And if we go um, waste to oil or waste to energy, uh, in many cases, you're doing the same thing. Um, and in Europe, I've been convinced that um, waste to energy is one of the few solutions that is open to people. Uh, I don't think, I, I don't love the idea because I ideally like to see the recycling. However, we generate a lot of waste. A lot of the waste is organic and paper-based, and that ends up typically going either to landfill or it'll go to anaerobic digestion, creating gas, which goes to energy. So if you go direct to energy, it's almost the same thing, and you're dealing with the waste as well. So waste to energy is probably a realistic uh, option, provided it's done in the right way and we strip out the recyclables beforehand. So uh, it's a pragmatic answer. It's not, not, not the optimum answer. And you mentioned organics. Now, one of the popular confusions that I've seen is that uh, disconnect between biodegradable and bio-based and what all you know, the, the, those terms and how that actually impacts material recovery. Yes, yes, a very, very important point. Um, many things are bio-based, of course, and bio-based plastics can either be degradable or non-degradable. And, of course, the whole point about using the word bio is an attempt to say we're making something renewable. In other words, we're taking from the biosphere, creating something, and it's going to go back into uh, the biosphere again. So we have a circuit and we're not digging up fossil fuels. So bio-based is a, is a good, good approach. However, if we, if we talk about um, bio-based materials, um, they can be either um, biodegradable or they may be um, industrially biodegradable. Uh, so in, in those cases, we have a real problem because a lot of people think the word bio all of a sudden confers some sort of magical uh, sustainability for this material. Uh, and yet some materials that are uh, degradable uh, require in industrial conditions. And even if we can find the, um, the right infrastructure to handle those materials, it does take some time and effort to, in order to do this. Now, many countries have composting, which is ambient conditions, but the composting facilities cannot take the uh, biodegradable plastics because the, their worry is if it's a biodegradable film, how do they differentiate between uh, a conventional plastic, which is not degradable, and a bioplastic, which is degradable? So they basically ban all those materials from entry. And we don't have, in 
hospital a stream that can handle bioplastics. Now, this is this actually starts to create an interesting dilemma for countries. So what should we do in countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, um, Thailand, the Philippines, where they are, there are many people, they're, they're big consumers of packaging? Should we be using um, recyclable or uh, biodegradable packaging? Now, the evidence is that if we use recyclable packaging, which is durable and long-lived, it will probably end up in the oceans because of the poor waste management. So it seems in those cases it might be better to opt for biodegradable materials that will have a finite life and then can break down either in controlled locations as a preference or if they escape in, into uncontrolled locations, they will then biodegrade. So uh, I think we need a lot of rethinking about what we do in developing countries with with less well-developed waste management techniques. And I think we, we at, at the moment, don't welcome biodegradable plastics and biodegradable packaging onto the market. Uh, yet I think we should make a, a new, have a new look at this. And one of the dangerous things I see are happening is a lot of companies are switching to paper. Now, that sounds like a great option because, you know, we're using a bio-based material. We know that we can harvest trees to make paper, which sounds great. But nearly all of these paper products that are replacing plastics are coated. So they're coated with a thin film of plastic or they're coated with a wax or they're coated with uh, polyfluorinated compounds. Now, the last one, the polyfluorinated compounds, are indeed a very worrying emergence because globally we now have a problem that many, many tonnes of uh, packaging are made with fluorinated surfaces that make the material oil and uh, water resistant, which is fantastic, but these PFAs migrate into oily foods and then they migrate into our fatty systems, into the biosphere. So we now have a global problem and we've heard that Denmark have banned fluorinated treated papers for food packaging. And yet these materials are food grade, but they're very persistent, they don't break down and they end up creating another environmental problem, a bit like the um, ozone-depleting substances, which took something like 60 uh, before they uh, depleted to the stage where we, we, we have healed the hole in the ozone layer. So we have, we have to be careful about the options and where, we, where we're changing to. Just to jump to something that sounds like it might be better, like a coated paper, doesn't mean we're doing the right thing. Reduction is, first of all, very important to cut out the overpackaging. Recovery of the materials is very important. And then recycling should be the first option. And, and in this modern day and age, there should be no excuse for any company not making their packaging recyclable. If it's not recyclable, it shouldn't go, in, go into the market. Otherwise, they have to say, you know what, this is where our package, packaging is going to end up. Uh, it's going to go into waste to energy. Well, let's make sure they have a waste to energy plant in their market because if they don't, they're releasing something that will last for for thousands of years. I mean, these materials will not break down uh, unless unless they're given a lot of heat and energy. So, so many many things that we need to do. Okay, so just on that that point of um, recyclability, um, some people say that everything 
is recyclable, but that there it's just the commercial reality of whether it will be or won't be. Um, what do you say to that? Yes, ultimately that's true. I mean, atoms aren't destroyed, you know, t typically. So you can, you know, you, you can take the carbon loop, you know, of, say, taking your oils, or taking your plastics, breaking into oils, putting it back into a cracker, and you re recycle those. And, of course, you have to use a lot of energy to do that. The energy means CO2 emissions. So the thing we have to look at is making sure if we are recycling, we keep in mind the whole environmental impact. And so to simply say everything's recyclable, um, then then we need to have a look at that life cycle. If we take the case of some of the persistent chemicals released in the, into the environment, things like DDT, so that's recyclable, but where is it? What about all the um, brominated materials that we use as flame retardants? You know, that, they're showing up in the fatty tissue of sea life, of, of um, whales. And, of course, then we hear that Eskimos can't feed their babies um, breast milk because... Their mothers have accumulated all of these uh, chlorinated hydrocarbons in in their fatty tissue. So, uh, um, you know, I think you know it's a bit of a stretch to say everything's recyclable. It's a rather glib statement because, you know, how will it be recycled? And if these materials are persistent and escape into the environment, then um, they go through the whole biosphere uh, and at a cost that we sometimes can't predict at the at the early stages. The best thing is to use what we need and be absolutely sure we're not uh, re releasing things into, into the environment. I mean, plastics are durable. That's their key attribute. The fact that they're durable means we can recycle them. So let's make sure that we have the right technology in the right place. And and that's really where Next Tech and myself have sort of placed ourselves. We thought, we thought what can we do as bright people to, to make recycling better, make recycling easier. And as it turns out, it all starts with design, designing the right sort of packaging, putting the right technology to recover that material. And so we're very clear about that now with automatic sorting and then also uh, having the right recycling steps. And then the last step is really, really critical, and that is having the products to put it into. So brand owners need to know their product is going to one day come back into the next cycle. And so they need to be buying recycled materials, irrespective of the cost now, because oil is going, oil is plummeted, monomers will be cheap, polymers will be cheap, and it'll be tempting to switch to virgin and stop recycling. Well, if they create it, they have to create a home for that final material back into a finished product. And that is now their global responsibility. They can't stand away from that, irrespective of price. And, you know, the global CEOs understand it and their procurement people understand it, but now they need to practice it. That's fantastic. And, Ed, I love it. You've highlighted the complexity of plastic. Is there a final single message you would like to, to uh, share with people that, you know, to give them that little bit of hope that we can achieve the circular economy? What would you like to tell people? Um, well, it's as simple as buying packaging that is recyclable in the first place. If you see something that's not recyclable, think about where it's going to go. We should have a red box in our kitchen called, you know, landfill locked away for thousands of years or 
we have the big recycling box where it goes into the circular economy. So it really is up to us as consumers to shun non-recyclable materials like crisp packets. You know, oh, can we, are we going to stop eating crisps? But maybe we need to send the manufacturers a message, say, find a way of recycling this or take them back in the store or do something. You know, um, consumers are at the end of the chain. They, they, the only choice they have is what they buy. So if people buy recyclable materials and recycle them, we're doing our bit. But consume less as well. As we're all finding out right now, we, we have all changed our lives. And you know what? The planet's a lot healthier and a lot better because we have. So consumption's gone down. The planet's healthier and better. Maybe people will be healthier and better as well. So let's, let's, there, is, there is always hope and people are ingenious and it's by changing our behaviour that we'll create a better planet and a better world. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Ed, and thank you for listening to, to our listeners. Um, I'm Trish Hyde and we've been The Plastic Circle. We're casting off. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Plastic Circle. For more information, go to theplasticcircle.com. Thank you.